0: Good morning, glad to see you out and about. The Bible says this is the day the Lord has made and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, this is a grand day. Go ahead, all the way around, tell somebody, convince them, it's a grand day. Well, that was weak, but that's okay. Actually, you may not realize this, this is grandparents' day. Come on now. So all the grandparents in the room, let's stand right now, show off and brag right now. Show your phone, show all the pictures give it up for our grandparents How sweet is that grandparents day a perfect day to launch our new campaign I is one as well first time I served here at PCBC I was a parent before you know it life goes by and you wake up and you're a grandparent matter of fact we just had an addition to our family three months ago this is our latest this is Easton right there he's gonna be a shepherd like his grandpa how cool is that right that's pretty awesome and then Uh, as a grandparent, you'll do anything in the world for your grandkids. Now, your kids, they got all the discipline. The grandkids, they get everything else. Anything you got, you're going to give them. Matter of fact, you do anything for your grandkids. Uh, This past weekend, my wife came up with an outing for us with our oldest, who happens to be in the room, Miss Audrey. And she said, we're going to go take Audrey out just for a special date. Cool, what are we going to do? Guess what she came up with? ballet under the stars downtown at scissortail park ballet under the stars for grandpa i don't think so except yes if it's got a grandkid involved you're going now here's my point why would we do all of that if 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 i'm willing to go do ballet in the park at scissortail park for my grandkid why would i not take the time to tell her about the one who made the stars To not introduce her. And we'll do all this stuff for our grandkids and for our kids. But are we doing the greatest thing we can do? And that's introduce them to a spiritual legacy. Our family and marriage ministry team is probably one of the most active ministry teams in the life of our church. And they're helping us these next three weeks to be able to leave a legacy to our kids. And eventually someday, if you don't have grandkids yet, you will, to your grandkids. For those who are grandparents you're the patriarch and the matriarch of the family you spend a lifetime building your family and you come to a point in a stage in your life as a patriarch and matriarch that that then you start thinking about what are you leaving behind to your family it's called estate planning and god forbid we would leave to our family some property or a retirement account or some assets and not leave to them the greatest thing we could ever pass on to our family and that's a spiritual legacy Our family marriage ministry team was launched several years ago, almost 10 years now, maybe a little bit longer, to help us as a church to become family. Ed and Donna Edwards got a vision for this ministry, and many in our church are now part of that ministry team, weekly, monthly, and annually, finding ways to help us minister the greatest hurt in any community. You know what that greatest hurt is? It's issues of our family. While family is the greatest blessing we'll experience on the planet, it's also the greatest challenge. It's also under a great attack from the enemy who comes to kill steal and destroy and so for the next three weeks our family ministry team is presenting a themed uh uh, ministry called tell the story there's a kit that will be passed out next week in every abf class and for the next three weeks we're going to focus on giving you tools if you take a look on the screen the next slide will show you what's inside that kit you'll find some tracks that you can use with children You'll find some recipe cards that give you maybe some opportunities to use a movie with your family to then talk about spiritual things. You'll find a different ways of being able to share your story and being able to sit down with anyone, whether it's your children or somebody outside of your home who needs to hear the gospel. We also put a resource together on our website. If you go to pcbc.tv forward slash tell the story, you'll land on a landing page much like this and as you scroll down the page you'll get to the next part that then will have a section of testimonies from people in the church we are encouraging every one of you who's willing to do it to come into the church you schedule an appointment our media team gets with you you then film a two and a half to three minute short testimony of your story Already, you can see some that are posted there. There's a host of more of those that have already been put together. I think there's over 19 or 20 already that we've set as a pilot. And we're going to encourage you over the next few weeks to write out your story, come in, put that on, and then you'll get a business card that you'll be able to carry out with you in the community. Pass it on to a friend say, hey, uh, if you ever want to hear about how God changed my life, go listen to my story They'll be able to use that QR code, be able to go out onto the web, and you could witness anywhere at any time. You can put it on your social media. You can pass it on to people that you encounter at the store or in life and all kinds of other ways of telling the story. If you scroll down the rest of the page, you'll see the next part. You'll find a bunch of resources that will be loaded there. This one that's embedded there is a children's uh, way that you can take a child online watch this short video and it presents the gospel on what it means to be lost in your sin but what jesus did to take away our sins it's a powerful video there are other resources not just for children but also how we can communicate that with our friends our peers and other adults what's been eye-opening for me over these years of ministry is every time i sit down with a family who's just lost a loved one and especially those who've lost a patriarch or a matriarch and i'll sit down with the children and often sometimes the grandchildren and I'll ask them to tell me more that I can include in the funeral service or the memorial and I'll ask them a question like can you tell me about when they were saved probably less than 10 percent of the families have ever been able to communicate with me now they knew grandpa or grandma was saved but they didn't know the whole story they didn't know when they didn't know how they didn't know the. they just knew that they were a christian can you tell me their favorite verse their favorite? they didn't know that part of grandpa's story what are you leaving behind to your children and your grandchildren let's make sure that we are engaging god's story through our story not just in zambia not just to venezuela and not just to india but we're also doing it right under our roof where we live our jerusalem our home you'll see it in scripture many times today Some things I want you to understand that if we're not careful, we have the wrong understanding of what it means to be a witness for Christ. Sometimes I think witnessing is all about this confrontational getting in somebody's face and confronting them with Jesus, and it's this uncomfortable confrontational thing. That's not what witnessing is. Witnessing is simply a lifestyle. Matter of fact, when you come to know Christ, the Bible says we receive a new life. And in this new life we have with Christ, you can read about it in 2 Corinthians 5, you also receive a new lifestyle. You don't just receive a new hope and a way to heaven. Yes, that's a new life. But you also have a new lifestyle where God wants you to tell your story throughout the whole earth from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. Samaria was that place there in uh, Israel where they didn't want to go with the gospel and there was prejudice and hate. God said you even go to those who maybe are your enemy and those who don't like you or those you don't like. You go to all people, anywhere and everywhere, but you start in Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem is not just the city where we live, but it's where we live. And it really starts at home. It is a lifestyle. We'll also see today that witnessing is simply a conversation about what matters in your life. That proves that everyone in this room is a faithful witness Because I promise you, throughout your day and throughout your week, you are constantly witnessing to others. You say, that's not me, that's somebody else. No, no, no. All of us are witnessing about something. We're always talking online, or we're always talking to somebody about our favorite restaurant, about what we did this weekend about how well or how not so well our sports team did this weekend we're all talking and we're all hammering through social media about what we believe about a virus and the vaccine we're all witnessing every day about what matters to us the sad thing is we're not witnessing about the most important thing and that's god conversations and so the next three weeks we want to help everybody to be able to do a better job at carrying out our new lifestyle and talking about what really matters the most to us the Lord Jesus who's changed our lives if you have your Bibles I want you to turn and the next thing you're gonna see is that witnessing is a God-ordained process a God-ordained process go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in first Corinthians Paul is writing to these new believers that grew up in a very pagan world it was the Las Vegas of its day many of them have come to know christ how did they come to know christ because of a god-ordained process a place a community that knew nothing about the one true god but just knew nothing but pagan religions and pagan ways now there are believers here how did that happen look at the process they're arguing among themselves they divided up in their own denominations today you hear about baptists methodists presbyterians pentecostals church we have all these different denominations Well, in Corinth, they had their own denominations. They said, we're the church of Paul. And another group stood up and said, no, 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 we're the church of Apollos. What does that mean? Take a look at it. Verse 5. Paul had to address it. He said, what are you arguing about? Why are you falling after man? Here's the deal. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Are we not servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one? For I planted, Apollos watered, but god was causing the growth so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but it's god who causes the growth now he who plants and he who waters are one each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor for we are god's fellow workers about this god-ordained process the apostle paul draws an analogy from the farming world that they lived in the agrarian society that they were a part of every day they were raising crops and every day they were growing food for their sustenance and they were always looking towards a harvest but paul's saying you never get a harvest if you don't plant seeds and you don't water seeds he says you're looking to me some of you because you came to know christ through my preaching my story and i'm thankful you're a part of the kingdom but i didn't save you Another group of you are saying, well, we're of Apollos. Apollos is the man. Apollos Apollos saved me. I'm thankful for Jay Strack. Jay Strack was a youth evangelist that came to our hometown when I was a junior in high school. I'd never heard of this guy, never knew this guy, but he was doing school assemblies at that time and I was mesmerized by his story. That night he invited our whole school to come out to a crusade. We showed up at convention hall and it was under the preaching of the gospel and his powerful story as he told God's story through his story that my story was changed. Forever Jay Strack will be a spiritual hero in my life. I'm thankful for Jay Strack, but Jay Strack didn't save me. The Lord God changed my heart, but he used a guy like Jay Strack. He used the Apostle Paul. He used Apollos. And what we find is that in this God-ordained process, all of us have a role to play in the harvest. For the Apostle Paul, he first started by planting seeds. He would go to a community like the Corinthians, and and he would take the gospel, as the first time they've ever heard it, and he would preach the gospel, and a few would be saved, but not everyone. He would move from that town, and he would go on his next missionary journey. And in behind Paul, God raised up Apollos. And Apollos came in there, and he began to work with those new believers. He began to pastor them and shepherd them. And he began to water the seed that had been planted, and then it began to thrive there at the church of Corinth. Each one had a role to play. Paul said, I planted. Apollos' role was to water, but it's God who brings the harvest. Let me ask you this question. While God's the one that brings the harvest, if no one's planting seeds... What harvest will there be? That doesn't minimize who God is, and that doesn't mean God doesn't save people, but God has chosen to work through your new life, your new story, to tell his story. We get to plant seeds. What is the harvest that you expect if somebody plants seeds, but nobody waters the seeds? There will be no harvest. What if there are those who plant seeds and water seeds, but nobody fertilizes the seed? Nobody watches for the weeds. Nobody cares for the crop and fertilizes. What happens to the harvest? There is no harvest. My point is this. We must do our part and trust God to do his part. But notice verse 5. Look at verse 5. Some of you say, well, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not good at witnessing. I'm not good about telling others about Jesus well that's interesting because verse 5 says this me and Apollos are not special Paul saying there's nothing special about us we just understand God's process God's ordained process and each one of us has our part to play Uh, in verse 6 he says I plan but look at the last part of verse 5 he says we are simply servants whom you believed, as the Lord gave opportunity to each one of us What Paul understood is this, every day I wake up, I have a God opportunity. Every day I wake up, I can either show up and be a part of his kingdom, I can invest in the harvest, I can do my part of either planting, watering, or fertilizing and let God do the rest, or I miss out on the harvest. Every one of us, write it down, every one of us has opportunities. It may be under your very roof. It may be in the neighborhood in which you live. It may be the school that you're going to. It may be the work that you show up for Monday through Friday or however many days a week you work. But God is always giving us opportunities. Paul understood it. Apollos understood it. And they engaged in the harvest, and there was a great, great harvest because they understood the process. How many of us are going to miss it and miss our role in it? He said each one of us, Apollos' was different, mine was different. We did that together, and that's what the body of Christ is all about. We're going to learn today that there are a number of different ways that we can engage in the harvest but take a look at this next diagram if you look at this next slide what you're going to see is you're going to see a timeline in a person's life to where they come to faith in christ the bible says when we're born in this world we are born lost or separated from god we are spiritually dead in our sin two-thirds of a person we have a physical body We have a soul, we have our mind, our will, emotions and feelings, our personality, but we are spiritually dead. That's why there's a guy named Nicodemus, as we've talked about many times, who came to Jesus in the middle of the night. He was a religious man, he was a good man, but he was a lost man. Now, as we look in on Nicodemus' story, there comes a point where he is interested in seeking more. That's John chapter 3. But I want you to understand, Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the Jews, a Pharisee, that there were others of his peers, they weren't interested. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And so there are different stages in a person's timeline. Some remain lost and never move out of there. Some get to a point where, yes, they're lost, and they're not even interested. But then there comes a stage in their life, a time, a season, an event, that they go from being not interested to at least being interested about eternity, about what happens next, It could be a life event by losing a loved one or somebody important, or it could be a tragedy, or it could be whatever that wakes them up, and all of a sudden they're interested in spiritual things. And then from there, as they start to become interested, then they start seeking answers. Why am I here? Is there a God? Could God love somebody like me? And they begin seeking out answers and then if we understand the god-ordained process and we let the holy spirit work in our lives we can plant seeds at some stages water those seeds fertilize the seeds and see them become a believer in jesus christ it's a god-ordained process what does that process look like well on the timeline hit the next slide down here at the left hand side uh, if you find a person who's not interested in god things the last thing they need is a sermon Last thing they need is a preacher to show up on their door. What they need is you to be salt in their life. And so you plant. You plant a seed in that moment. You begin to uh, plant small things. You start slow. You start small. You plant conversations. Hey, how can I pray for you this week? Or, or, Or a guy who just got back from Louisiana who would talk to people who were going through the devastation of Hurricane Ida, and he's saying, I don't know how people do this. I don't know how you recover without the Lord in your life, and it would lead to other conversations. What do you mean the Lord? Why do I need the Lord in my life? And he had multiple, multiple conversations this last week in Louisiana. But he started small and at first they weren't interested. But life circumstances got them to start being more interested. And some of them began to seek deeper answers. We start sometimes just being salt, putting a little bit of salt on it. You don't dump the whole container just because you want it to have a lot of flavor. You ruin it. And there's too many people who go Baptist witness on somebody and they douse them with a whole deal of Morton's salt and they wonder why they don't want to swallow what they're sending them. Because we're not being the salt. You just put a little on there. Plant a seed. When I was growing up, my mom had a great idea. We were going to have this big garden in our backyard. I've talked about it before. and I was a bitter kid because it was 125 degrees outside and I had better things to do in my time than work outside under the hot heat of Enid, Oklahoma. And so we were going to raise strawberries and cucumbers and cantaloupe and green beans. And she had all these seed packets. And she brought me and said, okay, boys, we're going to go plant a garden. I'm like, okay, cool. So I took all the seeds, dug a hole, dumped them all in the hole, and went back inside. I didn't do that. But if I did, I'd be done. I would have planted. I would have said, there, got it, done. If you want to harvest, you don't plant all the seeds at one time in one place. You have a process you go one seed at a time and you space out those seeds and then after the seeds are planted you continue to water those things you don't just say okay done tomorrow we have strawberries no in due time and in due time means a whole lot of time and over that course of time I've got to nurture those seeds I've got to water them and I've got to fertilize them and I've got to pick the weeds all summer long that's why I don't have a garden in my backyard today but that's also why I don't have any fresh vegetables. There's no harvest because I have no garden. And can I say in America today, the reason there is no harvest is not because people aren't lost and not because people aren't hungry and not because people aren't seeking. It's because we're not in the harvest. And I'm not saying that to be cruel. I'm saying that to be real. For if no seeds are planted, there is no harvest. If seeds are planted but not watered, there is no harvest. Paul planted. Paulus watered people began to seek answers and they found them in Jesus Christ and they became believers the next slide shows that as we plant when somebody starts to get interested and starts to at least begin to investigate we begin to water those seeds now we come in with a little bit more now we find that our conversations go from salt into being water talking about the living water Jesus and and finding ways to engage in more spiritually deep conversations and then as they go from being not interested to interest, and they really start seeking, then we fertilize with the Word of God. Nicodemus went from being just interested to seeking out Jesus one night, and as he comes to Jesus, Jesus is able to see. This dude is really looking for real answers. He's seeking, and so Jesus goes right to the point, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. We don't see any other conversations Jesus has with other Pharisees that was that detailed, that deep, and that real because it was different for the other Pharisees than what God was doing at that moment in Nicodemus' life. God understood Jesus in the flesh, understood the God-ordained process. Find a time to plant seeds. Determine, is this a time to water those seeds or is this a time to fertilize by going straight to the heart of the issue? You've got to give them feed for the seed or it dies. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, we're going to jump in and we're going to learn that there are ways to intentionally do that. You see, a harvest, to have a harvest, you have to have a plan. And to have a plan, it is a daily, small, intentional process of going from planting seeds to a time of watering to a time of weeding and feeding the seeds, nurturing that ground, and then one day you wake up with. The harvest so how can i be a part of the process you say pastor you're you're trained to do that you're a professional witness for christ no there's no such thing as a professional witness we are all witnesses for christ but not all are in the harvest and so i want you to see six different ways as we were putting the series together through the ministry we partner with that provides our family life resource center uh, we had some tools that were given to us to equip the church to be the witnesses to be a part of the harvest that we're called to be they pointed us to Bill Hybels book he wrote many many years ago called contagious Christianity and in that book Bill Hybels highlighted six different ways we see people being used by God in the harvest number one write them down let's write down these six ways and I want you to see which one best fits who you are you see a lot of people have the wrong understanding of witnessing they think witnessing is just getting in somebody's face and it's confrontational and it's uncomfortable and what we come to understand is that's not the only way to share christ now it is a way that's the first one confrontational confrontational paul when he went into corinth he had to confront people with the truth stephen the first martyr of the christian church who gave his life for christ the very first one he was stoned to death because he was confrontational with the gospel now don't let me talk you out of being a confrontational evangelist but he took that moment and he just that's all he had and he spoke specifically as he confronted them with who they were outside of christ and how they could know christ he did it lovingly boldly but it was what you would call confrontational now how many of you would say that's me man i can witness to anybody anywhere anytime man and i love it anybody raise your hand Somebody did in first service, and I missed them. See, not very many hands go up. There are not a whole lot of Pauls in this world, not a whole lot of Stevens, and that's okay, but we feel guilty. Man, why don't I love people like Paul does? I've told you before, the best man in my wedding, Kevin Choate, had the gift of evangelism. He got radically saved, I mean, out of a pagan, pagan life. He grew up in Hennessy, Oklahoma. If you know much about Hennessy, it's a very, very, very small community, and everybody knows everything about you and about your family, about your past, about everything. Kevin was known as a wild man in his high school days. Got radically saved. He first thing he did is he went to the local McDonald's. And while everybody was there at noontime, all the oilies and all the people of the town were packing out, having a Big Mac. He stood up and said, You keep eating your Big Mac, and I want to tell you about my big God. And he just started witnessing the whole restaurant. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. No, I love Jesus. Well, why can't I be like that? Man, I used to feel so guilty. Man, I wish I was radical like Kevin. I'm not, that's not who I am. That's not, that's not me. But it was Kevin. Well, there's another way that we see people. It's not the only way. So let's grow in our understanding. How can I be a part of the harvest? Second way, relational evangelism. Go to John chapter 1 quickly. John chapter 1, verse 40. Not everybody was a Stephen. Not everybody was a Paul. There were others, other examples. Look at verse 40. There's a guy named Andrew. You ever read about Andrew? Well, there were two, this was one of two, who heard John speak and followed him. His name was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated is Christ. And he brought Peter to Jesus. Simon, who you know of, who's now, you know him as Peter, one of the greatest of all the disciples, how did he ever come into a relationship with Jesus? Jesus. He had a brother, Andrew. Andrew first discovered the truth. He first discovered who Jesus was. And the very first thing Andrew did is he didn't go and just shove Jesus down his brother's throat and said, you're going to believe like I believe. But the very first thing Andrew did was the very first person he had a burden for was somebody in his very own house. His Jerusalem was his brother. And I wonder how many of us in this space have somebody, a brother, a sister, a mom or a dad, a grandma or grandpa, an aunt or an uncle, a cousin. We start there in that Jerusalem, in our very own family tree, and through that relationship, the most important person we should be praying for right now is somebody in our family. We have hundreds of ping-pong balls out there in the Hoosier One display, and some now have turned orange, which is a praise to God. But I wonder if we have all the ping-pong balls in there that God wants to use you to minister to their life. At the end of this service, maybe some of you are going to come under conviction and say, you know, I just kind of gave up on that one, or, or man, that's too hard. It's easier to talk to somebody outside our home than somebody in our very own life, our very own family. I learned that personally with my dad, and you've heard that story. In all my ministry, man, I struggled, and certainly confrontational evangelism wasn't going to work with my dad. It'd push him further away. But out of that relationship, I had the privilege of being able to share God's story through my story at the end of my dad's life. And finally, after 30 some odd years, came to see him know the Lord. He was one of my ones. Is there one that you have in your life? There's another example. Uh, There is another example of this relational way of reaching people. You can hold your place in John 1. We're going to stay there. If you want to follow along, you can turn over to Mark chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you the story. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus enters into a certain community and he hears about the craziest dude in town, the Kevin Choate of that city. Except this dude was so far gone, he was demon-possessed, living among the tombstones. So in other words, he's bedding out at the cemetery and he is a crazy, demon-possessed, crazy man. And he was so destructive and so messed up with demon-possession that they couldn't even contain him. They tried to chain him up and keep him from destroying things and attacking people, and he'd just break off the chains. He was mighty powerful in this demonic presence. Jesus steps in. A lot of people had given up on this guy. Jesus stepped into his life, removed the demons. If you read the story, it's pretty cool. matter of fact, it's got historical significance. It's the first time we see God or anyone calling the hogs. Woo, pig, suey. And all of a sudden, this herd of pigs show up. And he casts all the demons in the swine and they go off a cliff. And I guess this guy must have been like a Texas Longhorn fan or something. And he gets delivered in that moment. And those demons went out in the pigs and he's set free. And now, look at the rest. He wants to be the 13th disciple. The demon possessed man approaches Jesus as he was getting into his boat. He's now been set free. He's new, he's got a new life. Watch the new lifestyle. A new life leads to a new lifestyle. And he comes to Jesus and he implored him and he begged him and he said, I want to go with you. I want to ride in your boat. I want to go where you go. And once you see what Jesus said, Jesus said, No. You know, sometimes the things we think we need, we don't need. Sometimes I think we think that living for God looks like this and sometimes we're missing it. And Jesus had to explain to him, Look at it, verse 19. He said to him, No. You're not going with me but I want you to go home I want you to go home to your people and I want you to tell them of all the mighty things God has done for you see that's all a witness is he didn't tell them hey no you can't go with me in the boat because you haven't been to seminary you can't go in the boat with me because you got to find a rabbi you got to get trained up you got to go to discipleship class and then you can be a witness for me no he said right now immediately your new life you have a new purpose go home go to your people go to the people who you know and you tell them of all the great ways God has had mercy on you and you know what he did he did it he went immediately into town and he began to tell everybody his family his friends everyone and it says all of them were amazed and they couldn't believe the difference God made in his life relational evangelism every one of you has relationships with somebody who needs Jesus that's one way you can get there and God wants you to go and he wants you to start in your own home with your own kids with your own parents with your own siblings number three quickly there's also the invitational witness we're in John chapter 1 Andrew has introduced Peter they begin to spread the message they begin to tell their story in the region and apparently Philip heard the story God's story through their story Philip now who is a believer look at verse 45 Philip then he went out as he's got a new life he's got a new lifestyle as he's been changed he also has changed his path and now he wants to take God's story to everybody he can take it to so it says he found Nathaniel. you know what that tells me he was intentional he was concerned about Nathanael he went and he found him and look at what he does he said to him we have found him the very one Moses and the law and the prophets have written about. His name is Jesus. Jesus is Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Whoa, what? This dude's from Nazareth? And you're following this? Nobody of any significance has ever come out of that area. Nobody. He wasn't interested. But watch what Philip does. Philip doesn't say, okay, Nathaniel, if you want to feel that way, go to hell turn you're not going to turn you get to burn he doesn't go baptist on him he loves him right where he is he becomes salt and he says well would you at least watch this take a look at it verse 46 would you at least come and see he invited him he said you may you may not be able to see it right now You may not be interested, but would you at least come with me? Would you at least come? Let me introduce you to this guy. Just come and see for yourself. Just please come. Now, I believe we shouldn't just be inviters only. We shouldn't invite people to church, but we should invite people to see who Jesus is. And it's okay to invite people to church, but go beyond that. Get engaged in somebody's life. He got engaged. He went and found Nathaniel. He engaged him, and he pleaded with him and said, please come and see what I've come to see. Man, let me. Just, I get it. You're not interested right now. I know you have uh, maybe some concerns about somebody out of Nazareth. You got your issues, but don't give up. Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him. He said, "And behold, an Israelite indeed, whom there is no deceit." He saw that as Nathaniel was approaching, even though at first he wasn't interested. He at least was interested enough to come and see. And as he was able to come and see, Jesus was able to impact his life and change his life, all because of an invitation from somebody who was engaged in the harvest, who planted some seeds at first, hey, I found Messiah, who watered those seeds and said, hey, at least at least come and see. He didn't give up on the seed, and he saw a great harvest. Number four, we've got to go quick, the testimonial style. This is the number one way we teach believers at PCBC to be able to be a witness in the harvest. To tell God's story through your story, thus the theme, tell the story. Acts chapter 26, Sean's going through all the Sunday school classes and we're going through the four-week series where we use Paul's example in Acts 26 about how to write out your story and tell that story. Paul used it often. He was a confrontational guy. He was a relational guy. He was an invitational guy. He also was a testimonial guy. And Sean's been doing this through all the ABF classes. It's beginning to spark a fire in our church. He told me that at least over 40 people have given a written testimony that says, I've never shared my faith before. And for the first time, I've started sharing with somebody. For the first time, 40 new people. It's awesome. I was doing a grief recovery class these past months, and one of the couples that was in the class are grandparents. They just lost their daughter, the mother of their grandkids, in a tragic car accident. Very unexpected, way too young. And this family could become bitter. And they're hurting, and they've had to work their way through their pain, but in all this, they continue to pray together, God, use this for your glory as we were going through this eight-week class they were able to come back one week and said man do we have a story to tell the grandfather was spending time this was weeks after the funeral one of the grandsons was with them in the kitchen I don't know if they were doing dishes fixing the meal I don't know what they were doing but they were working in the kitchen and he said Bill the Lord just the Lord just had me stop and he could have been just trying to keep the evening going he could have been worried about the dishes or the meal But he was worried about his grandson's eternity. He said, I stopped there in the kitchen. I said, you know, with all that's going on, the loss of your mom, it's helped me to realize what none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And I don't know anything about where you're going. If you were to die today, something tragic like that happened in your life. And through that story and him telling how he got saved, in that kitchen he led his grandson to Christ. That's awesome. Two weeks later, two weeks later, He's with another grandson they're at the ballet no no he didn't get ballet he was at the golf course we'll go to the driving range next time so here he is at the golf course he could have been worried about his swing he could have been working on his game and the Holy Spirit came on him again and he stopped right there with his grandson and he shared his story there with his grandson and said what's your story and his grandson said, grandson said daddy I don't have a savior and right there they knelt at the golf course and he led his second grandson to Christ simply using his story. Idra Hawkins in our first service. I won't tell you her age because I'm not supposed to do that but I can tell you that it's been at least 60 years since she graduated high school and all of a sudden she's having these conversations with her old high school classmates. She's just lost a husband and in that life experience, a lot of them are reaching out to her, and she's using that part of her story to engage in their story and tell them about the difference Jesus made in her life, and her husband's life, and where are they with Jesus. And she is starting to see people come to know Christ that she would have never had that ability to see if she'd not shared her story. So if you don't know how to do it, get our kit next week. It's in every ABF class. Get one of these kits. Let us help you figure out your way of sharing the story. Get a t-shirt. Get a simple shirt like this. Walk around at Walmart. I promise you somebody's going to stop you and say, what do you mean tell the story? I'm glad you asked. And tell the story. Use this as a tool. But find a way to be in the harvest. Very quickly, we've got to wrap it up. Let me give you the fifth way. It's the intellectual style. There is a way. There are certain people that will only be engaged and reached in a philosophical, kind of apologetic way. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17 where it says that Paul, when he went into Athens, he started by going to the synagogues and reasoning with the Jews. He also dealt with the God-fearing Gentiles in the marketplace. And then he went and he spent time with the Stoic philosophers. In Athens, they would gather at the city square, the the center of the city, and they would simply talk about new ideas, new ways, new thought, new day and they heard about this crazy new way called the resurrection of Jesus, and they thought Paul was a madman, but Paul came in, and he reasoned with the philosophers. He met them where they were. He didn't say, oh, they'll never believe. Oh, they're atheists. They don't believe in God. They believe in their own philosophies. He didn't ignore them. He engaged with them. You say, well, I wouldn't even know how to answer questions like, is there a God, and where did he come from, and How old is the earth and what about the dinosaurs and all these other weird things that people want to try to use as a distraction from dealing with Jesus? Show up on Wednesday nights. Josh McClellan, one of our very own, is teaching us every Wednesday. If you weren't able to be here, you can go on our YouTube and you can get caught up on the last two sessions. He's got at least two more. That's a hint, Josh, that we may extend it. And he is teaching us how to engage with modern-day arguments and struggles that people are having and be able to be the light and salt God has called us to be you ought to be here on Wednesday nights the last one and we'll close with this is servant evangelism in Acts chapter 9 it talks about a lady named Tabitha her Greek name in the Greek it means Dorcas this woman it says about her was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity which she continually did. So another way we can engage in a person's life and be a part of the harvest is just to serve people. Mike Bateman sitting right down here. Mike, wave your hand at everybody. Right here's Mike. Used to be the executive director of the Jesus House. Served a lot of our homeless community. Out of that, God equipped him and has raised him with a vision to help addicts. And he has now started a new ministry called Jeremiah House. And it is a ministry we're engaged with, and we will continue to grow in that engagement. But all he is doing is simply investing and engaging where people are hurting, going to addicts where they are, and loving them into the understanding of who Jesus is. It's another great example. Gary and Karen Brantley, who were in the first service, this past, one of their ones that they wrote on a ping-pong ball was their 89-year-old neighbor about two years ago Gary started being burdened for this lady who lived alone across the street as he'd watch her walk her dog and he began to just build a relationship he and Karen together he would shovel snow when it was snow on her driveway he would find ways to help carry out the trash whenever she had a need if she needed to go to the doctor they would just find ways of serving this 89 year old grandmother they served her so well that when her son died on a trip to Hawaii it was one of the family members that called Gary and said hey mom going to have the worst day of her life her son has just died would you go be with my mother they loved her so well and served her so well that that's the first call that was made was to gary and karen they went over that day and they loved on that woman they helped her through her loss and through her pain and in that moment the reality of death being so real They were able to use a very tragic thing to become a very beautiful thing, and they shared with her how she could have hope beyond this life. And they shared Jesus with her and told her how she could be saved, and there in her living room, she prayed to receive Christ at 89 years of age. Is that not awesome? Is that not glorious? But Let me tell you how glorious it really is. I asked Gary about all the details this morning just to make sure I had it all in play, and and then he gave me this understanding. He said, but, but Bill, you know that 39 days later, she joined her son. 39 days. And if they not been faithful, if they'd not taken that step, if they'd not have been a part of that God-ordained process of serving and serving, but being salt and being light and loving and sharing, and then when this woman was hurting and seeking the most, actually sharing the gospel, she'd be in hell this very moment. 39 days away from her own death and they were a Dorcas now I was growing up you never wanted to be a dork or a Dorcas but can I tell you after I've seen this call me a Dorcas all day long may we be a part of every day just like this Dorcas abounding with deeds of kindness and charity and reaching into people's lives I see Brent Ross already thinking, you were a dork when you were my youth pastor. I get it. That's all right. We're there. Here's the deal. As we close, simply find your way to tell your story. Simply find, is this a time to plant in somebody's life? Is this a time to water? Is this a time to have a deep conversation about the things of God? Where are they in that timeline? You see, if they're not interested, be salt. Just put a little salt on it. Say, hey, man, how can I be praying for you today? Or, man, this is a great day, man. The Lord is blessing me. You don't have to preach at them. Just start bringing the Lord into it. Just dab a little bit of salt. As you start seeing them become more interested, they start saying, you know, you're, you're always so happy. Why are you all? Now they're showing interest. Go further. And then as time happens and they wrestle with it and they struggle with who Jesus is, they struggle with truth, they struggle with your story... When they're really seeking, find a way to tell God's story through your story. Find which ways you need to use. One of these six ways, and I would say that there will be multiple different ways you can engage a soul. Just be a part of the process. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. There's a lot that we looked at today. And every time God's word is presented... The Bible says his word word will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose in which it was set forth. So as the word has been preached today, as it has gone over uh, this audience and into your heart, what did you hear today? What is it that God is saying to you? Now, for some of you, it might be God saying, I want you to surrender to me. I want you to, to be saved. You're lost in your sin, and I want to save you. You need to declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to trust him. You need to do what Andrew and Peter and... Philip and Nathaniel and others did, they found Messiah, a Savior. Maybe you need a Savior today. There are others of you, you found a Savior, but you have this new life in Christ, but you're not a part part of the God-ordained process. You're not planting, you're not watering, you're not fertilizing, you're just waiting to get to heaven. God forgive us. He just didn't give you a new life, he gave you a new life purpose and a new lifestyle. To go to Jerusalem... Judea, Samaria, your school, your workplace, your home and be a witness. Talking about what really matters. Man, it matters what Jesus is doing in our lives. Let's talk about it. Let's don't preach at people. Let's just share with people. And maybe as you've listened, the Holy Spirit has put a face, a name, a person on your heart. Oh, you got plenty of ping-pong balls already filled out, but God has shown you somebody that lives under your roof or somebody in your family, or he's shown you somebody else as you've gone to a new round of classes at school, or, or maybe you've taken on a new job and you have new contacts or new peers. God showed you today somebody you know needs Jesus. I want you to come to this altar and it will be flooded, and I want you to grab a ping-pong ball, put their initials on it, and let's continue to pray to the Lord of the harvest and pray over our ministry to plant, water, and fertilize maybe you need a church family or a church home you can come to one of our staff maybe you want to just huddle up with somebody and pray and say man I want you to pray for my one and I'm gonna pray for your one and maybe we just start getting serious about the harvest telling God's story through your story Lord in Jesus name I pray that you would work mightily in this place I pray that you would convict us of just receiving a new life but not living the new lifestyle for expecting people to get saved but not being a part of the harvest by planting, watering, or fertilizing. God, forgive us, but God, use us. Ask our staff to come. As they're standing here at the front, we're going to stand together in just a moment. Tom's going to begin to sing. You need to respond by getting on your knees where you are. You fall on your knees. If you need to come to the altar and grab a ping-pong ball or several ping-pong balls, you start filling those out, put them at the cross. If you need a church family or you need Jesus, come to one of our staff. But let's respond to the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray.